All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Today we're going to be talking about a fairly controversial topic. It's the kind of one that gets you banned from social media and especially YouTube. We're going to be talking about transgenderism. What we're going to do today is a little bit different. We're going to talk about the different perspectives. We're going to try to effectively define this topic and then we're also going to talk about what is the best way to respond with respect to a lot of the arguments that we see surrounding transgenderism in today's culture, today's schools, Hollywood, etc. So we're going to be discussing those issues as carefully as we possibly can, while at the same time making sure that we're equipping you with the best arguments to be able to make on behalf of what you believe, on behalf of your faith, on behalf of children. All that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. We were discussing what today's topic would be last week, and I thought that this would be an appropriate topic for everyone that was listening just due to the nature of its popularity and the conversation taking place here in the United States. Uh, we knew going into this that there was a possibility that you know YouTube could take the video down, uh, but we thought it was important enough to still talk about it, and we were committed to discussing this in a truthful way that we find to be honest and accurate. And so if we do get taken down by YouTube, so be it. I mean, we have other methods of uploading our video content, so we'll take that process whenever we need to. Uh, but we want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for clicking in because, you know, these tougher conversations are ones that may be uh, less entertaining to listen to, but we hope that this conversation will be interesting. Um, so let's get started. And if you have something you want to share, drop it in the comments on YouTube or uh, you know, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. But thanks so much for listening. I'm excited for today's conversation. I think we're going to work out some difficult subjects, and hopefully you're going to walk away with some actionable points that you can use in conversation. Okay, let's go around. As always, do our quick introductions here. I'm Nick Freitas, your host, current member of the Virginia House of Delegates, former Green Beret, and most importantly, husband to this beautiful lady, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and, of course, our resident historian and prognosticator of all things politics within the country, Christian Hines. Hello. The hair is starting to grow back. No, nah, you need to shave it again. I like the, <laughs> I I like the, I I like the, bald. I like the, the biker gang look for you, Christian. It's, <laughs> it's a good one. And then, as always, our producer, Nick Hamilton, producer of not only this show, but several other successful shows. So we're lucky to have him. Excited for today's conversation, Nick. Okay, well, let's go ahead and uh, set the stage here. We have a clip that we want to see, and uh, part of this clip was banned. We'll let you know right up front, and we're not going to be able to show that part for obvious reasons. But this was a particular gentleman, uh, Walt Heyer, who had actually gone through uh, transition surgery um, 
The full surgery. The full surgery transit. And, and he, he did it early on. He actually went through this in, in the early 80s. So this is someone that has kind of gone through the whole lifespan of what it was like starting off as a young child. I think he has some interesting points to make. And so we're going to go ahead and show a few clips from this um, talk, that this discussion that he had with the Heritage Foundation. And we're going to go ahead and weigh in. And so let's go ahead and uh, get the first clip started. Affirming children into a cross-gender identity is child abuse. Let's be honest. It's not physical abuse, but it's psychological abuse. It's emotional abuse and it's sexual abuse. We cannot kid ourselves any longer and our children are being destroyed. I myself was cross-dressed at the age of four, 1944, 74 years ago. And as a result of that, I became gender distressed to the point to where I underwent gender reassignment surgery after struggling because of being cross-dressed in a purple dress at the age of four. Those, we, we cannot ignore how devastating it is to young people to cross-dress them and affirm them. Do not kid yourselves. I'm here as a witness to this, that I'm still today stand before you with a mutilated body and a life that was destroyed in many ways, redeemed by Christ, certainly, but destroyed because I was affirmed and told how cute I looked, how wonderful it was, and went to a gender therapist who said, all you need to do is have hormones and reassignment surgery. I was in 1981. I underwent the surgery in 1983 because they said this is the treatment for gender confusion. Wrong. I first of all, I mean, I think that's fascinating. This he's talking about 1944. This World War II is going on. He's the same age as my grandfather. Well, that's when somebody dressed him up and affirmed him as a girl. Yeah, and at age four. At age four, and it wasn't until he was something like 42 or something, and he actually had a wife and kids, mm-hmm. um, when it finally came to a head and and he was struggling so much with um, gender dysphoria that he went to this doctor. Now, a lot of the argument you see coming from the left is, well, yeah, the reason why he was struggling with it is because all of you bigots on the right weren't willing to accept what you know he, he really was. That is always the argument. And and what I, what I don't understand here is... Again, if, if at four years old, adults, right, presumably his parents, but uh, you know who who knows who else, is dressing him up in a dress and affirming that. I mean, at, at what level do you say, okay, how much of this is influence? Now, the, the left will come back and say, well, if, if you know, if they dress him up as a little boy and affirm that, you wouldn't have had a problem with it. But again, this this goes to this larger conversation that really started in the fifties with respect to a lot of like the the academic work on trying to separate gender from biological sex. But I mean, is it fair to say? I mean, is it still fair to say at this day and age that it is there is a distinction when you affirm someone's again they call it gender affirmation. But wait a second, if someone is biologically male or biologically female, isn't that affirming their gender. It is the language is really, really strange because if you're looking at um, certain in within the psychological, you know, 
community. Um, you you have this term. It's um, called gender conversion therapy. Um, that is very negative. It, they they hate it. You know, you have to sign a waiver saying you'll never use it. Um, gender conversion therapy basically affirms the biological de- gender, but gender affirmation therapy affirms the mental gender. And basically, it, well, to and, me, and- I, I kind of look at that and go, that's conversion therapy because you're converting an entire biological body yeah. over to reflect what is in the mind. Well, and, and, I, and I think that's that's one of the important distinctions. And, and again, the, the reason why there's been such a push lately to kind of distinguish between gender and sex is this idea that you're separating the two things. And just so, just so we're all clear, as, as best I understand, when we talk about gender versus sex and the way that, you know, advocates within the, the trans movement discuss it, is that sex is biological, which is to say that it is based off of your chromosomes or those characteristics which are associated with male or, or excuse me, yeah, male or female, man or woman. And then gender is a spectrum because it's based off of essentially um, characteristics that we generally associate with masculinity or femininity. Now, I, I would argue that that all of us grew up in an era, right? Most of us grew, you know, Tina and I, we were you know born in the late 70s. Right, you guys are much younger. We won't go into it, but but it, it was this idea that we always knew that yeah, there were there were differing degrees of masculinity and different degrees of femininity. Mm-hmm. But when we were growing up, nobody thought, or or I shouldn't say nobody. Obviously, some people. Do. Society in general basically said, well, okay, that is a that is a woman or that is a girl that has certain masculine traits. Well, we used to have or characteristics. We used to call her a tomboy. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 if you and if you had a guy that had more feminine traits, but again, there was always a distinction. There is like, okay, that is a feminine trait being, you know, realized by a man, or that is a you know masculine trait being realized by a woman. But no, again, I don't recall anybody thinking. Therefore, that makes you. No, back then it was quite the opposite. Yeah. Um, back then there was a lot of affirmation surrounding. If you're a boy and you like to play with dolls, that's okay. It doesn't make you less of a man. You're just going to be a great dad. You know, you're going to have babies and you're going to know how to treat them because you love dolls. Um, If you're a girl who loves to go hunting and fishing and loves to build things like me, Mm -hmm. um, you're a tomboy and you're going to go out and um, do all kinds of things and boys might might not think you you belong in that arena, but you can because you're a woman and and women can do this too. Yeah. And it doesn't make you less of a woman. And the problem is now when they start seeing these traits, they go, oh, well, maybe you're a man. Oh, well, maybe you're a woman. And there is no longer you can be a woman and still do this, or you can be a man and still do that. Now they are basically telling you well, you know, something's wrong with you since you like this. Um, it must mean that you're a woman or you're a man. It must mean that deep down. And, that's and then they start push, point. they start pushing it and they start um, trying to get you to explore it. And that's where, you know, that's where it starts. Well, that's where that, it goes. again, I, I think it's a fascinating point. And, and again, we're going to try to be very careful on this episode with who, you know, they are, but essentially there, there used to be, I mean, Tina's absolutely right. There used to be this distinction where it was, just because, again, a, a woman liked to, you know, hunt or fish didn't make her any less of a woman. Just because a guy liked to, you know, bake pies didn't make him any less uh, of a guy. And and now it's crazy to me because there were certain immutable characteristics with respect to 
male and female, and that had to do with your biology. Mm -hmm. And these other characteristics might be generally associated with masculinity or femininity, but it didn't take away from the fact that you were still a real man or you were still a real woman. And now to your point, and I do think that's an important distinction to make, now to your point, that whole narrative's been flipped. Mm -hmm. And and now we're supposed to say, well, no, if no, now you you must be you must actually be a woman. You must actually be a man. And I think that's an interesting component. Let's let's go ahead and let's go ahead and look at the next clip here. It's destructive. It's not treatment. It's further abuse. This is the physical abuse, cutting off body parts, and filling someone with hormones, is the one of the most destructive things you can do. And it's not repairable. There's things that cannot be restored. I'm here as a witness to tell you we have to stop this nonsense. Here's another point that I think interesting, because a lot of the same people that I see coming down on one side of this debate are also very much anti-GMO, anti, you know, they're, they're very whole foods. They're very about holistic approaches to medicine. They're very about like naturalism when it comes to, um, you know, the foods that they eat or the things that they consume. And, and there, there's this on one side, there's this whole idea of like a natural approach, you know, nature knows best, except when it comes to this issue. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, how many pharmaceuticals can we, can we pump into you? to force your body to stop doing the thing that your body is naturally doing. And I, I, well, I find and, that mind And the fact that it's naturally inclined to do those things, there is a reason why um, the female body needs a certain combination of hormones and the male body needs a certain combination of hormones in order to maintain bone density, in order to um, maintain a certain level of health, cardiovascular, you know, cardiovascular health. There are a lot of... Uh, it is a very, I mean, hormones are very powerful things. I mean, ask me That's how I know. That's why they ban them in sports. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. I mean, we were having a discussion right before the show started about how, you know, if women were injecting themselves with the degree of, of testosterone that a man has naturally mm -hmm. and then competed in a sporting competition, mm -hmm. she would be expelled yeah. for for you know yeah, yeah yeah so it what well, i find most interesting about this discussion though from the left's viewpoint mm -hmm. are the things that make it such a powerful tool i, I don't want to say tool because i don't want to act like anybody that doesn't hold the same view that say a conservative has on this is an inherently bad person because i don't think that's the case. The biggest difference between the right and the left is the right traditionally views the left as having supporting bad policies, mm -hmm. whereas the left traditionally views the right as literally being evil. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to accuse the left of literally being evil. Yeah. But what I find so fascinating about what makes leftist arguments on cultural issues like this so politically successful is the emphasis on a combination of the civil liberties argument and the you know, we are defending weak people and you're trying to attack weak people. You, you you saw this over the past decade on the general LGBT stuff where the left's argument was a very successful argument. It certainly won in the courts. And I would also argue it largely won in public opinion, which is that, well, the right are literally being bigots. They hate these people and we're standing up and defending them. Why do you want to impose your will on somebody? That was the argument over and over again from the left. 
on on things like the marriage thing. Why do you want to impose your will on people? You know, you just want to force people to live your, you know, the way that you want. And that's a very powerful argument, especially mm-hmm. I would argue in this country, which is a very individualistic country. And I say that as a compliment. The yeah. left usually likes to say it as a negative thing, but <laughs> yeah. but in this country we largely throughout most of history we've definitely not always done it but but we've largely moved towards a direction of live and let live mm-hmm. not universally but but this country was largely founded on those principles and yeah. we've moved in that direction and so when the left can take that narrative and apply it to something like this situation Suddenly, it's the conservative is now on the back foot and being yeah. well, accused of you're trying to impose your will on somebody. And I think what we're concerned about in the situation is not the live and uh, live and let live. It's the push. So it does seem to me like the the biggest um, transition in in the way the right has responded is that it was pretty much live and let live all the way up until they started wanting to make this commonplace for children. And so it's when you enter this in with children and affirming uh, uh, these procedures and these medical procedures for children that we started to go, wait a minute, guys, um, you know, we're going to have children choosing their gender at, at this very young age when, I mean, they can't even brush so their teeth properly. To play devil's advocate for just a brief moment, I would challenge you a little bit on the idea that until it got to children, and and by the way, now that we've gotten to this point, like it is pretty clear that the battle lines are being drawn. But Mm -hmm. to challenge your point about the idea that until it got to that point, the rights position was live and let live, I don't really think it was. I guess you're you're right. I guess I would say like- Can you go into that some more, Christian? Yeah. I mean, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think it's important for this fight because there's a lot of people out there that didn't share the rights position on LGBT stuff until three weeks ago. Yeah, There were a lot of people that supported the court rulings on, on things like gay marriage sure. and stuff like that. There's a lot of people in the, in the center politically that are either apolitical or they're center right or they're center left or they're just plain old centrists that traditionally looked at the rights position on these sort of culture things and was like, you guys are bigots. You guys are trying to impose your will on people, and I'm not about that. And I feel like in order for us to win this fight, because this is no longer about the right is not trying to impose. Even if you believed previously, and I actually do to some degree, that the right was, quote unquote, you know, pushing, you know, their will on people historically on this. I don't think that's the case now at all. It is completely script now. Uh, you know, the the, the the script has been completely flipped now. It is the left that is trying to impose an ideology on people, and there needs to be a pushback against that. So in order for the right to win this fight, because it has to be won, we have to be able to re-engage with those people that completely deserted the right on the culture war issue on this 10 years ago or 15 years ago and be able to explain to them that I am not coming from a position where I'm saying – I have anything against or or that that I am, you know, against somebody that doesn't share the same worldview as me when it comes to LGBT stuff. But I definitely have an issue when you go to children and you say, we need to be allowed to teach them about sex and gender in third grade. I have a major issue with that. And I think the average person does too. But I also feel like there needs to be a, a... a logical, rational way to engage with those people. Because if we lead out of the gate 
and we start saying, well, anybody that is pushing this, you know, has sinister motivations and they're just, you know, trying to, to do really nefarious stuff. If if we lead out of the gate with that and, and I I feel like we're going to alienate people that we would otherwise be able to win over. Well, I I agree. And I think that we would not be having this conversation right now. If the conversation was live and let live is to push against children and hormone therapy and gender, you know, um, reassignments, re- reassignment surgery. I invite criticism to everything that I just so, said. But <laughs> like, one, one thing that I'm interested in, I'm going to move us into the making the argument section right now. I, I, I want to know who, like a situation that we would be having this conversation with friends or family. And Nick, to start us out, you've got a story to share. And let me tee you up with this to help us define exactly what transgenderism is so that when we're having these conversations, we can understand the other person's perspective. But you've got a story for us here. Well, yeah, because it really is a good question. And you, you kind of saw elements of this with the whole Supreme Court nomination hearings, right? Like define what a woman is. And and nobody wanted to do it. And then the left responded with, well, that's a stupid question. Like, okay, but can you do it? <laughs> um, and, and so... It, I want to give an example of something that happened within the Virginia legislature because there was a bill coming forward presented by um, a Democrat. I can't remember who the patron was, but it had to do with public school policy with respect to transgenderism. And one of the, I think it was over on the Senate and one of the senators said, I'm looking through the bill here right now. Can you, can you provide me a definition of transgender? And from what I understand, the patron said, well, no, I, I'm, I'm going to leave that to our, our friends with Equality Virginia, who are also here to testify on behalf of the bill. So Equality Virginia is one of the, the I would argue, probably the biggest pro-LGBTQ advocacy group. Them may be the ACLU. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, but Equality Virginia is specifically, specifically focused on, single on this issue. issue. This yeah. is their issue, right, is LGBTQ issues and equality. So... Okay, Equality Virginia, can you give us a definition of transgender there? And they're like, oh, well, no, the, the bill directs the Department of Education to provide that definition. And so the senator's looking at him going, wait a second. So you, you want me to vote on a bill, and, and the whole purpose of the bill is focusing around this issue of transgenderism and how we treat you know, kid, you know, trans children in the public school system. You provide no definition. I ask you what the definition is. You refer to your experts. The experts don't want to give a definition. And then it's just going to be the Department of Education determining what this looks like. So uh, obviously that's potentially problematic, but I think it's also instructive to say that you had you know, advocates right there that were very uncomfortable with providing a fixed definition of transgender. You know why, right? Well, I think we all know why, because at the end of the day, once you de- once you provide a definition, that definition can be criticized and you can investigate it. You, you is- can have you now you can have a discussion on whether or not not to mention the fact that whenever you define something, you run the risk of potentially excluding something else. Honestly, and they are very, very concerned about that because this has been like, you know, a, a, a forever changing thing. But I, I looked it up. I said, okay, what is what is a working definition? And this is one that I've always, when when someone has always asked me, what is transgenderism? This is one I've always associated with it. It's uh, denoting or relating to a person whose sense of personal identity and gender does not correspond with their birth sex. Now, a couple of important things here, and this goes back to what I was mentioning in the first segment, right? Is that it, it has been fairly recent that there has been this distinction between gender and sex in the sense that if your gender identity does not correspond with your birth sex, then you're really what you're, then there's something wrong with your birth sex, right? Um, it's not that your psychological reality it is problematic. It's that the objective physical reality 
is is problematic. And so that's been a big part of the movement because as, as Tina was pointing out earlier, it used to be that, okay, the boy played with dolls. That didn't make him less of a boy. The girl played with, you know, trucks. That didn't make her less of a girl. And now that, that dynamic's flipped. And we're saying that if these characteristics manifest themselves in some way, um, then it might mean that you actually, you know, you're a woman or actually you're a man. And that's the part that's that's been a big departure. But that's essentially what I think we're debating and arguing here when these issues come up and we talk about what is transgender. It's somebody who's, you know, psychological reality does not comport with their biological it's reality. Body dysmorphia. I, I, and there's also an issue where, uh, you know, people will identify as being an amputee. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, the the regimen is very different for someone who identifies as as female, um, even though their biological sex is male. It's 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 straight to let's just you know alter your body. Whereas if if you identify as an amputee and you really want your arm taken off, they go through a regimen to try to get you to accept the arm. Yeah. Um, and I find it really interesting that. A lot of the same folks, and when we say they, you know, it's the same same they. Um, many people in the media and um, in our society today, there was a big body positivity push. You, if you all remember, you know, there still is. Oh yeah, big health, time. Healthy at any size, beautiful at any size, love the body you're in, and this was a massive push and is still a big push. And um, this usually has to do with size, you know, weight. Um, but what's interesting to me is it does not work in relation to this. There is no love the body you're in. Hmm. There is no accept the body That's you're in or, 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 you know, love yourself for what you are. It's I need to make some surgical alterations. Now, to be fair, people surgically alter, alter their bodies all the time. But when you're talking about some of these side effects, which I've, I've been looking into, it's, there's a very big difference. And sure. well, usually, usually what people are doing and when they, when they get alterations to their body now, they're usually trying to, you know, enhance some sort of feature that's, look better. that we usually try to enhance some sort of feature or whatnot. That's already associated with, you know, they're, they're being a man or a woman, but when you're going through a gender transition operation where now it's, we we are trying to use the, you know, the, the anatomy that you have and then fundamentally alter and change it from something that it was never intended to be in order to try to replicate the opposite of the genitalia that you possess. Okay, now we're talking about a pretty significant distinction between someone that Cosmetic went out and, surgery. And, and got some you know right. collagen in the cheeks, right? So or breast implants. And and if yeah. there is something that has gone wrong in some of those procedures, like breast implants or whatever they may be, it's plastered all over the news oh, that this is a that. horrible right. thing. This this happened and um and it is pushed, but no one talks about things like fistulas. Go take a look at what that is online. I don't think I want I won't go into it. But well, it's common. Just to back up real quick, did you I might have missed this. What was the bill in the Virginia Virginia General Assembly aiming to do? Oh, it was it was I was gonna set up like transgender bathroom policy okay. and things like that within the public school system. And so again, they were they were trying to figure did out a no, way to do Was this pre this. or post Loudon? This is pre Loudon. 
pre-Loudon. How do you think that's changed things? By, by the way, for the for, for the audience who yeah. does not keep up to date with Virginia politics twenty four seven, do you want to briefly go so, into so that? So what happened in Loudon is you actually had it. You had a situation in Loudon. So one of the concerns with the whole transgender bathroom yeah. bill was this idea that you're going to allow you know boys to basically you know change and share the girls' locker room. You know, th- this there could potentially be issues with this, and the left kind of mocked conservatives who were saying. Okay, so you're telling me a 16-year-old boy isn't going to figure out that they can go shower with the girls' volleyball team if you pass them like like oh, you're right. They would go, they would undergo the, you know, the horrible, you know, um, you know, ridicule that they would receive and everything else just to do that just because you're a pervy doesn't mean they and we're like, "No, we're not saying everybody's going to do that. We're saying that this could potentially cause problems." And of course, we we got mocked and laughed at. Well, there was a situation up in Loudoun County in one of the schools where uh uh a trans woman. It was, it was, it was, a, it was, and he, we weren't even sure if he was a trans woman because he was, he was a, a boy that was, you know, wearing a dress and the whole deal. Well, him and this girl had engaged in different sexual activities within the bathroom. He wanted to do some things she didn't want to do. He then physically her. forced her to do it and raped her. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, this came up later at a Loudoun County school board meeting. And this was recent. By this the is way. recent. We're talking like last year or, or year and mm-hmm. a half ago. And what happened was, is this, the um, superintendent, I think it was this, the uh, the head of the school board, like asked the superintendent, well, have there been any cases of, you know, violence in, in a bathroom or any sort of issues like this, that these, you know, and essentially is that these bigoted, ignorant parents are concerned about. And the superintendent said no. And the father of the daughter who had been raped basically stood up and called BS on this and was escorted out and arrested by the police. And that ended up being one of the cases that the Biden department of justice used. And that's where the famous, the like, infamous letter, letter that yeah, was saying that terrorism. parents were domestic terrorists yeah. For, yeah. for the audience sitting at home. This was the story, especially if you don't live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, yeah. but you keep at least a little bit up to date with politics around the country. This was the issue that at the 11th hour, almost literally at the 11th hour, blew up right before the 2021 elections. Yeah. And in some mm-hmm. ways, obviously, there's a million factors that are at place, but this is one of the factors that very well might have pushed Glenn Youngkin across yes. the finish line. But I did want to point out that at the time when this happened, that father, no one really knew why he was thrown out because they were also discussing CRT at the time. Yeah. And so um, what I saw a lot on social media from a lot of folks on the left um, is- That he they, was a racist. They would show the video of the father and be like, look at this hillbilly, look at this. And because he's struggling with the um, police, his shirt's getting pulled up and and it's, it's a pretty humiliating shot. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw people that I know in my own, like people I know mm-hmm. who were saying, look, you know, the left or sorry, the right, are just such a bunch of hillbillies and look at this bigoted hick out there, you know, doing this because he doesn't like black people. Well, when you later on find out that what he was there for had nothing to do with CRT, it had to do with the fact that his daughter was raped Mm -hmm. and now he's running for office. Yeah. Well, and and again, this, this goes back into, I mean, the whole, the whole, question, right, is is how do we actually define transgenderism? And I, and I think that based off of the definition I read, um, I, I think there's two components here. One is it is interesting when somebody does not want to define either transgender or woman or man. And at some point you're looking at this going, okay, if, if you really have that big a problem doing this, I'm starting to suspect there's an agenda beyond you know, just, just greater understanding and compassion for people. And then the second part of this is if you, if you can't give us a definition, 
how exactly are, are we supposed to pass I, laws? The thing is, I don't that's understand the feature, not why. Yeah. I don't understand why there is such a push for this issue when they can't even define it and they won't define it to pass a bill. Well, now they think that you've got to be a biologist to define woman. Well, I, I so. But, so why we has there been problem. such a, a push to advance this? This is something I've thought a, a lot about. Like, why why has there been such a push specifically with you know transgenderism? And you could argue that it's you know some people say it's an it's an incredibly small portion of the population. I mean, it is, but 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 that doesn't no, not but, anymore. Not anymore. When you look at the numbers now, it is now a fad. Okay, so yeah. with it is that a is fad. true with 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 Zoomers. It is, which is basically anybody younger than myself or Hamilton. Yeah. Hamilton and I are like the youngest of the millennials. Yeah, right. So with anybody younger than us, and I'm 28, he's like, 27. you're 27. Yeah. Okay. So with anybody younger than us, the polling has shown that it's somewhere from like a third at the high end to like 20% at the low end of Zoomers well, identify like as non-binary. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so there's a component well, they, of that, but I, what I really think and I think that Nick might agree to some degree in terms of like the push for it gets back to what we were briefly talking about earlier with, I think it's twofold. I think it's that civil liberties component. And I think it's the, we're defending vulnerable people. I, I think that, so let's, again, let's look at this from the left's perspective for a second, right? So yeah. obviously the people at this table kind of view this situation differently. All right. But not assuming that everyone that we disagree with is a bad person, right? Cause we don't want to do that. What are the possible motivations for doing this? Well, I think Christian's point about the civil liberty side is that if, if you are if you are on the left and you see yourself as someone that is trying to stand up for a vulnerable group, right? One, one of the dumbest arguments I hear people using is like, oh, it's just a small percentage of the population. That has no moral bearing. That is a terrible yeah, argument. It's a terrible argument. It has way. no moral bearing. And it's also I don't not care true it, anymore. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care if it's one person, right? If someone is being you know, oppressed or, you know, you know, or having violence visited upon them or being, you know, treated in a bigoted fashion. That's wrong. If it's one person, that's wrong. Right. So obviously the left is looking at this going, we have this small group of people that are in, in their minds, they're vulnerable, right? They don't have a great deal of like wealth or political power, all this other stuff. And so this is someone we're like, well, this is a vulnerable victim group, right? They're part of the oppressed, um, you know, pantheon. And so they're going to come in and defend them. Right. And take away, take away the, the, the transgender, you know, the larger argument here from a scientific standpoint or whatnot. If you just look at the left's motivation with wanting to protect what they perceive to be as a vulnerable oppressed group, there is nothing wrong with that motivation. There's nothing wrong with that motivation. Um, that's one. Two, I do believe that there are other, I do believe that there's a, another motivation, right? So I want to be careful about this. I'm not assigning this motivation to any particular individual or group. I'm saying it is a potential motivation. There are people that they have never liked or approved of certain sexual norms, which are largely informed by religious communities. Sure. Whether it's, you know, in the United States, that's largely been Judeo-Christian values. Um, but it could be Muslim values. It could be Sikh values. It could be, you know, Orthodox Jewish values. Right? There's, there's all kinds of, generally speaking, most of your world religions, especially like your larger world religions, have, have certain sexual norms with respect to when it is appropriate to have sex and between who. Or when to discuss it with people, yeah, too. Or, when it's so, or, or with who. There's, a, there's another group of the population that thinks that's totally inappropriate. And, and they think that if it, again... Love is love. If it feels good, do it, right? There's all these other things. And 
they might make some distinctions between adult and child, right? Or they might make some other distinctions, but and now, and even then there's some people that don't even make that distinction, right? But if, if they believe that all sexual activity between, we'll say consenting adults is appropriate, right? They don't just believe it's appropriate. They actually believe it's something that should be, that, that has the same moral footing within society. And so this isn't simply a question of, are there any legal prohibitions on doing this, right? Because that, that's the part where Christian goes back to. There's conservatives, I, I would say probably like a lot of us, who are, are very liberty-oriented conservatives, where we would say, look, my, my faith dictates that this is the appropriate sexual behavior, right? It's between a man and a woman within the confines of marriage, and that's appropriate sexual behavior. Sure. And and we would even say that it's not just between a man and woman, it has to be between husband and wife for us to look at it as, well, no, that's, that's morally mm-hmm. you know, appropriate. That doesn't mean I think the government should then come in and punish somebody for engaging in, in sexual activity that I would find you know wrong within my faith. Okay, so that's a distinction. But one of the motivations here, I believe, is people that are saying, essentially, I don't agree with those moral conventions. I think those moral conventions are wrong. And the attempt is to elevate any sort of sexual activity as being on the same moral plane. You can't do that by simply saying, you know, we leave we me alone. Please yeah, stop you, oppressing yeah. me. Yeah. It, it needs to be, if you don't agree, th- that's where we're getting to. Yeah. It's no longer leave me alone. Please stop oppressing me. Yeah. It's if you don't agree with me, you are a bad person. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what I was oppression. saying. It, it goes back to what I was saying before that I personally, I think, and there's tons of evidence of this. You could just go online. There's, there's the, the right traditionally, I'm not saying everybody, but the right as a, block of, of collection of ideas, traditionally views left-wing ideas as very misguided and incorrect. The left traditionally views the right as literally evil. And when you approach things from that perspective, Mm -hmm. it is not hard for you to go from point a, which is leave me alone, stop oppressing me to you are a bad person. If you don't agree with me, Yeah, because you're already starting from a position where you, you uh, immediately assume the person on the other side is a bad person, which is what the left routinely does. That's why we're always called racist, bigoted, homophobic, Even when we're not displaying any activities that would. So just to clarify, you're saying that one of the potential reasons that we could be seeing such a push for this issue is that it is an opportunity to push back against the moral guidelines of Judeo-Christian values or any moral system, which. I think there's two, I think there's two Pushing back against dogma. I think there's two large categories, right? Now, there's probably an infinite number of other types of motivations and whatnot, but I think two large categories is on one side, you see there, there's an an inclination to defend people who you believe are vulnerable and oppressed. And if the nature of their vulnerability is surrounding transgenderism, then you're going to, then, then you feel like you're defending them mm-hmm. by coming to the rescue and, and affirming the way that they feel about themselves, right? Now, again, reasonable people can disagree about, you know, the, the, the biological or scientific nature and, and, and what is the best approach. We're talking about the politics, right? Yeah. Now. We, the best approach, but it, it's important to understand that if you are dealing with somebody that their motivation is to want to protect someone that they perceive as vulnerable, that's not a bad motivation. No, You might not agree with what they're doing or whatnot, but that's not a bad motivation. I think there's another group that, that this is a very, very genuine pushback against you know, certain, and it's usually from religious populations, the values within the religious, and, and the only way that they can truly push back against them in their feeling to create a more equitable society 
is they have to either diminish those or they have to elevate a certain view of human sexuality and make it all in the same moral plane. I, I give both of those to the the reasoning for both of those examples there. I, I struggle to understand why those two objectives should play themselves out in schools. Oh, so uh, that's a great question. And, and here's, because we saw this with the whole, you know, don't say gay bill in Florida, right? Which was not a bill that said you could not say gay. That's not what it was. It essentially said that there are certain topics on sex that you're not going to discuss with kids kindergarten through third grade, right? That's, that's what the bill actually did. But a lot of people within the LGBT community or activist community said that this is essentially you're creating a scenario where teachers are going to not know what they can discuss or how they can discuss it. If a if you have a uh, a gay teacher, right, who talks about their you know is a woman and they talk about their wife, have you run afoul of that legislation? Well, again, if you if you actually look at the bill, nothing was in there. It was talking about a part of the, like the curriculum, right? It was a part of classroom instruction. There was no prohibition on whether or not you talked about you know. Your, your, your gay spouse or something like that, right? So let's just clarify that. But the reason why this will continue to be an issue is that if you believe, if, if, you, if you believe that this is, a, this is about making sure that we have a fair and equitable society where everybody is treated equally, then whatever personal decisions someone might have made about their sex or their gender or their sexual orientation, although that, that term has fallen out of favor now as well, who they're sexually attracted to, right? If you're saying you can't discuss this at a certain level, well, then there's an implication that there's something wrong with that that you can't discuss with a child where you can you can talk about mommy and daddy, right? Why can't you talk about mommy and mommy? Or this why is, can't you talk about daddy or daddy? Or why can't you talk about non-binary, you know, they, them? So you, you see this a lot, and we've already shown a few clips of this before in previous yeah. episodes, but this is why, like, if you go onto libs of TikTok, there's... So many examples of this, ironically enough, usually from public school teachers, but there's so many examples of this where people on the left, and I find it so fascinating, where, where they, they say, well, heterosexuality is pushed on people from a very young age because the, the, the starting point that they're coming from is basically what, what you would call, you know, psychologically like a blank slate, yeah. which is the idea that everybody starts off with nothing. And those things, and and your your beliefs, your worldviews, your personality traits, everything that it makes you you, is built up over time through outside pressures, like through society. It's it's the idea that that there isn't really any nature; it's all nurture. Nurture is the only thing that that determines everything that becomes you eventually, from a psychological perspective. That's, and I don't really think the left like. You know, I don't think these people on libs of TikTok are really like thinking this through. I just think that that's that's kind of like the position that they're starting from, which is why you see them make claims that to a conservative just sound utterly ridiculous. Yeah. A conservative will hear somebody on, you know, through libs of TikTok say, you know, heterosexuality is pushed on people from a very young age and we need to be able to do the same thing. It's not fair for, you know, Florida to say we can't push this on people, but you can push heterosexuality on people. And now a conservative would say that sounds it just insane. Seems, it just seems like to me that the left has no interest in any moral guidelines whatsoever. Oh, that I would totally disagree with that. Yeah, I, 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 I would totally too. disagree okay. with that. What it is, is it's not that they don't have any interest in any sort of moral guidelines. Talking about gender identity and transitioning and all that is a part of their moral guidelines. That's a part of pushing back what they see as the the 
current moral guidelines, which they believe in many cases are a manifestation of white patriarchal oppressor class systems. So what's the foundation for the moral guidelines, which they espouse through this kind oh, of postmodernism? Yeah, I, I think it's, well, I, I don't know that you can use postmodern. I think postmodernism influences it, but I don't think you can use it as a, a groundwork for moral, um, for a moral code or a moral law. Oh uh, no, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think what it, I think some of it is a, this is kind of the interesting point and yeah. I don't, I can't claim to totally know the answer, but as best I can figure out, it seems like some of this is either an attempt to alter existing codes of morality, which generally have come from Judeo-Christian values right. or some sort of religious belief, right? It doesn't even need to be Judeo-Christian necessarily, but some sort of religious belief. Uh, because in order to have an objective moral law, you generally have to have an objective moral law giver, right? That That is why a lot of those moral codes. Now, other people would argue that some of those moral codes just come about as almost through like a series of democratic processes, like over time that have kind of evolved, right? So we don't, I don't kill you and take your stuff because I don't want you to kill me and take my stuff. And so we have this agreement and some people will suggest that, well, I don't need a God for, to understand that there's a, a, a utility in that sort of moral arrangement. So you, utilitarianism is one of the ways that uh, kind of the secular approach to trying to come up with moral guidelines. The problem is, is that in any one of those scenarios, you end up exchanging a moral lawgiver with might makes right. Because the moment someone says you shouldn't do this, okay, well now you're 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 attempting to impose a particular set of moral codes on me. How do you do that? Well, the left's response to that is, well, we do it through democratic processes. We do it through government. Except when you don't like the democratic results from mm -hmm. that, right? Because there's been a lot of horrible moral outcomes from democratic processes. Right. So that's the part where it's it's a little bit difficult. When you ask me what's the foundation for their moral code, it's interesting. When you ask them that. They don't know. They, they'll, they'll try to give you some answer, but it ends up being... Yeah. Unwittingly sociopathic. They'll give you an answer that it's well, it's it's to to be happy and to love yeah. other people, and but then you or you do try the, to do, do the most well, good the, yeah. for. But then you going back to definitions, you try to how do you define happiness? Yeah. Well, it just makes me feel good, and then I mean we I, we've <laughs> had these. There's discussions some people before. that feel good about doing some pretty bad things. That doesn't make it. It's good. not even just that. It's about the idea that ultimately. These things, this is why the left does not like to define things. And it's why on this show, we try to place such great emphasis on trying to define things, even things we don't agree with, because sure. it's important to define things. Because when you don't define things, it is, you're, you're cheating basically. Yeah. yeah. And the left does this a lot where they don't define the things that they say that they're in favor of, because when you don't define them, it is so much easier. This is what postmodernism is. It's yeah. so much easier for you to make an argument. Well, it, it goes back to, you know, I, I was listening to a conversation about this issue with Charlie Kirk and someone that he was debating. A, I, I guess it was a transgender female. I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but they were talking about a lot of different things, and it really came back to, well, what's true for you is true to you, <laughs> and it doesn't matter if I disagree with it, it's true to you, so therefore it should be respected. But the thing is, is that that's not what truth is. Because no. right. just because I, so there are some things that are objective truths. It doesn't matter how much I really feel it. Yeah. Two plus two will never equal five. This is why like muddying words, when we play games with the English language, or really any language for that matter, you are opening up a, a Pandora's box because we are replacing the word truth with 
with perspective or belief. You can say my belief is X and your belief is Y and they're not going to be the same, but that is not what truth is. Sure. And and so like that, that's why I'm saying that like there are some things that are objectively true, like two plus two will mm -hmm. always equal four. It doesn't matter if a hundred percent of the world believes otherwise. If you try to build a car using math that operates on two plus two equals five, that car is going to fall apart the second you press on the gas pedal. But But the groundwork was done already when when this whole idea of of just not having a fixed reality and truth is relative really hit, began to be pushed in academia. Yeah. And so this whole idea that, well, how do you know that you're really true, that you're really here? Yeah. How do you know that? I mean, just getting people to question. I mean, that's like more deep philosophical. <laughs> no, right, but, 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 I, but once you get somebody to go, well, I guess... I guess maybe there is no objective truth. Well, and, and there's, they, they, they're willing to accept anything at that point. The, the problem is, is that it, superficially, it just sounds so enticing. Oh, it's true for you, and this is true for me, and and these Let's are both be and these are both equally relevant and equally valid. Until my truth means I'm hurting you. Yeah. Well, then, okay, now who's now who's correct? Because I guarantee you, right now, the same person is going. Well, you're, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Okay, so what's true for me is I get all your stuff. Is is that every bit as relevant? Well, no, that's you know, where you get the the social hierarchies because every, yeah. from the left, everything's built around power structures, right? Yeah. And so, it, it, at that point, it's it's well, if your truth is conflicting with my truth, and somebody wins and somebody loses, then we need to look at the chart of who's oppressed yeah. and who's the oppressor, and we need to rectify the social inequities of the past mm-hmm. and. I mean, that leads to a whole nother discussion well, that doesn't necessarily, that has some and, overlap and I, with this, but it's not just exclusive to, to this topic. When I That's think, and, and to, and to address the question, like, why is this being pushed at younger and younger ages? Why is it being pushed? Because they don't consider it pushing necessarily. They consider it informing. That, and so, so once you, upon a once, so again, I'm talking about from their perspective. I don't, I don't agree with this from their confirming perspective that the door is open. Well, it, it's the idea that uh, again, you know, when they say push heterosexuality, we look at that as, well, that's ridiculous. Obviously, you know, heterosexuality, it is a part of the natural order because, oh, I don't know, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't, <laughs> right? right? Like, so we, we find that absurd, but they look at it as, well, okay, wait a second, you're making a, you're making a, a moral classification on something that they don't necessarily believe is a moral classification. And if you're imposing that, then from their perspective, you're excluding people who they've already put into a vulnerable category. And so of course, in order to, in order to live in a more equitable society, children need to be re-educated to think about these oh. things differently. Well, no, no, no not, not re-educated because it goes back to the no, blank educate. slate. The yeah. problem is, is that they have, they have, um, in to some degree, failed to re-educate the adult society. So now the push is to educate fundamentally the children. Do we, do we think the push is centralized from a, a specific force no. or group of people? Well, or, I do. I, I don't really think, because here- I, I don't think there's I like some, I don't think, think I don't think is. there's some like grand, like Illuminati yes, that's, that's pushing. They, <laughs> well, wait a second. Do they get together at I, the I, Arby's every Tuesday? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, don't think, I, I think what this is, is that you, you have a lot of people that feel this way. You have certain like powerful entities that support this and, 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 and want to push that. it through legislation. And, and is there and some cancel culture? That's there, one of the biggest ones is that y- you and I can look at something and go, well, I mean, it's right in front of me. I can believe my eyes. I know the truth. And some, and when they're, they basically will gaslight you 
into, well, you're not seeing the reality and here's why. And let me give you this splintering definition that isn't a real definition. No, I'm sorry, but I, I do... F- I feel like it is more nefarious than, well, no, I, than this is I, I mean, I'm, of, I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt to some degree, but there is something nefarious when we suppress data, um, medical data, when it comes to something we like, but we push medical data when it comes to something we don't like. So if we're talking about medical difficulties and side effects of something that we, you know, that, that is kind of benign in society, well, then we're not, we don't have a problem blasting that all over the news. But if, if there is something negative with some of these surgeries mm-hmm. or if there's something negative, God forbid, with any kind of uh, inoculation or anything like that, um, if there's anything negative, they don't share it. They suppress that. So no one can make a real informed decision. And it's interesting to me because when we're talking about some of these um, testosterone suppressors, it's the same suppressor that it, for transgender uh, f- women who men biological males who are transitioning to to female mm-hmm. um, that same testosterone suppressant is used to also treat um, prostate cancer in men and it is some of the side effects are so bad that they have to convince these men who are undergoing treatment for prostate cancer that it is better to go through these things than it is to die. But it's the same medication mm-hmm. that they're giving to trans people and they're not giving them so that the same of, warning. The side effects may be so bad that the individual with prostate cancer might prefer to just go ahead and die. Yeah, or a not, lot of them will or, decide or to do not to- do something else to pick a different st- okay. you know, type of No, treatment. no, no, like when- this is one of the normal, it's a testosterone suppression. Okay. Anyway, it, it is, it is something where, um, they do, they do have to convince these guys. And, but when, when you're looking, I feel like there is a, a bait and switch kind of situation or, or a bad, it's, it's just done in bad faith mm-hmm. when you're not giving the same warning for the same medication because of the person's gender identity. That's wrong. You're, you're, you're tricking that person. Uh, let me, okay. So let me clarify what I think the point Christian and I were making when, yeah. when the question is, is there some centralized effort to, uh, of course there are different interest groups or organizations or it could be commercial interests that are willing to spread. Of course, nobody's denying that the, the thing that I get concerned about, is when when we start talking about this as is there some shadowy group that's pulling all the strings from but I I don't this is how we lose people going back to well, what I was talking one, about at the one, very it's, beginning it's not just how we lose people but two I don't think it's an accurate reflection of how these changes actually take place yes of course there is always more powerful influential organizations that take a particular position and then push something that absolutely exists I'm not I'm not denying that I don't want people to believe that this is as simple as saying, oh, it's this group oh, that's yeah. doing this or yeah. this you just organization get rid of these that's doing people, this. And if stop. you just, if you just stop this one powerful group, you're going to solve. No, you're when, not. When, this is a part. This is a part of an overall approach to how you actually view reality. Yeah. And it's, and it is pushed across a huge segment of society that is very powerful and it's very numerous. The irony and when we've got the when cancel culture, which is very, um, they use bullying tactics and they, um, they'll shut you down and they'll make you, they'll call you a bigot. They'll do whatever they got to do. And, and the entities that push that, um, I mean, they're, they're the ones that. Well, when we're sitting at home 
and we're thinking about this issue, our, our listeners, and there is no logical reason to be pushing things like this on kids in our mind. It is very easy to sit there and think or uh, justify the idea that there may be an overarching force that is centralized. And so I just wanted to bring that up. I, I think that, you know, a lot of times it's a rational conclusion, but I agree with what you're saying that, um, you know, we can't always come to that conclusion. I would say it's groupthink. Oh, well, it, it's yeah, social that, inertia because yeah. <laughs> like there, there's so many examples of this and, and I, 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 I'll be really quick with this because there's so many other stuff that we still need to get to, but like, there's so many examples all throughout history of any time that there's a social problem or political problem or whatever it is, there's always the, the easy answer from a psychological and social perspective is to identify a group of people or an organization or, or one thing that you mm -hmm. can point to physically. You got to have an enemy and say, that's what's causing it. Right. So like one of the examples when the disintegration of the Roman empire was taking place where there were a lot of people that were saying it was the Christians that were doing it. <laughs> yeah. They're the ones destroying it because you could physically point to these people right. and blame them for, it. or it was the Jews that were doing it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in the 1930s in Germany, it was, Oh, all the woes of Germany are the Jews. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that it was a bunch of, of complex economic problems that were taking place, political and economic problems that were taking place that were dismantling the German economy. It wasn't the Jews that were out there conspiring, but it was so easy to feed that to people because mm -hmm. you can actually point to a group of people and say they're at fault. You can't point to some invisible force sure. in the market and say that's at fault, even yeah. if that's what's really at fault. So like, what I'm saying is, is that social inertia, the irony being, yes, there are powerful groups and there are powerful organizations pushing this, but the big driving force is social inertia. It is society itself that is pushing this on society. Well, and I, I really believe that there are a number of people who feel uh, pushed into agreeing. Mm -hmm. um, they don't necessarily agree, but they don't want to get canceled mm -hmm. and they can see what's right in front of their face and they know it's true, but they're going to repeat the lie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, and, and so my, my concern is that there are a lot of people, the reason why this has crept up, the reason why it hasn't become come to a head and mm -hmm. wasn't recognized until kids were sent home and they started seeing this stuff on mm -hmm. the zoom classrooms. Um, I think that is one of the reasons why, um, uh, we haven't seen a pushback. Sure. Everybody is afraid to push well, back. Nick, I can see myself in a situation mm -hmm. going to a family reunion. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one of my cousins is there and we're having a conversation about this in general terms and having a difficult time yeah. reasoning with someone who holds the position that we should be opening the door or presenting the idea to kids that transgenderism or gender, uh, you know, changing genders is appropriate or fine. Mm -hmm. And it, how do I sit there and not think to myself, you're, you're an idiot <laughs> or you're a bigot or, or, or you're crazy. Yeah. Well, so, or so, so, sorry. So, I, I, make, so yeah. help, help us make the argument on so, that. So here, here's what I would tell you. Whenever you look at this issue, again, I think for so many of us in the conservative movement, a lot of this just seems intellectually absurd. It seems like nonsense. What you need to appreciate is that oftentimes when you're talking with somebody about this, especially someone that is very well read up on it, they're going to feel very, very convinced based off of academic language, based off of certain medical language and whatnot, that they are taking the correct position. And a lot of this is just rooted. A lot of this is actually rooted in a noble endeavor. 
Understand what I mean when I say this. The noble endeavor is they see somebody that they feel is vulnerable and marginalized within society, and they feel as if they are coming to their rescue against you who is treating them like they shouldn't exist or that they don't really exist or that this is all a lie. And so they see you as the person that is putting upon or even oppressing this person that is dealing with a complex issue within their own psychology, and they're the ones that are defending them against you. So a couple of things that you have to do right off the bat. First is obviously recognize that that might be what you're dealing with. It's not that your your friend or your you know your kid from college or whatnot is suddenly just you know a nut job, right? They're they're really trying to do something that could be perceived as very noble. So acknowledge that. The next thing that you want to do is again, as always, try to define your terms. What do you mean by transgender? Right, And you're not doing this, and you need to assure people of this sometimes, you're not doing this to trip them up or to make them feel stupid. You're doing it because you want to accurately discuss what the issue is and figure out where you might agree or disagree. So ask for that. Can you please define what you mean by this just so I'm not talking about something that you don't really mean. I don't want to misrepresent what you're saying. And so you have them provide those definitions or you get to something as close. But at the end of the day, what transgenderism is essentially is, is someone has a psychological reality with respect to how they perceive themselves, right, which doesn't correspond with their biological reality or their biological sex, right? And, and that's the conflict that is taking place right now. Here's the other thing that you want to look at this from, and this is really important. Please listen to this. One of the reasons why the left has gained so much traction on this debate is because they perceive conservatives as being mean-spirited, archaic, or cruel when we discuss this issue. And for good reason, because a lot of conservatives have been. Because we focus so much on what is considered to be the intellectual inconsistency with the definitions that are presented or the potential problems associated with it. One of the ways that you reorient this argument, and which I hope is not just simply a tactical reorientation, but is true on the way, the reason why you're going about this. So many of us are frustrated by this issue, not because we are attempting to get the government to compel someone to believe what we want or live the way that we want. That's not the issue. It's because when you start talking about how you implement the different procedures, or treatments associated with this, we are now talking about kids as young as 9, 10, 11 being exposed to life-altering drugs, pharmaceuticals, potentially surgeries that are going to change their life forever. And we see this as saying, wait a second, it is one thing to have a discussion about this issue. It is another thing to have a discussion about what adults should be free to do or not do. It is something entirely different for adults to be convincing children that because they might have a certain preference in the way that they dress or the way that they talk or the way that they behave or the toys they'd like to play with, that therefore they must go through life-altering surgical and chemical procedures. That's wrong. There is something, un there is something just inconsistent about that if you're really going to take the position that you're trying to help a marginalized and vulnerable person. Because I can't think of a more marginalized or vulnerable person than a child that is having some questions, some deep-seated questions about their psychological reality and their physical reality. And our job as adults is to step in and not encourage them to embrace certain life-altering decisions at such a young age where they're going through formative years and they're trying to figure things out. And one of the things that we have to, we have to 
get a grasp of in this whole debate is that is who we are advocating on behalf of. This is not just about certain norms within society. This is not just a, a question of the government imposing one thing or another thing. This is about us coming in and saying, no, regardless of what you feel about this particular issue, you do not get to push life-altering procedures on a child that statistically has demonstrated they might come back and regret at a later date and never be able to alter. And so that is a big part of what we're trying to do here is we're trying to protect the innocence of children, both from a psychological component and a physical component. And I think that's a noble endeavor on our part. But if we don't do it correctly, then you will come off as an ignorant bigot. And you're going to have to ask yourself, you're going to have to ask yourself a very important question here. Are you engaging in this debate because you want to make yourself feel better, because you want to own the libs? Or are you engaging in this debate because you, you genuinely see a real threat to someone that is potentially vulnerable or potentially marginalized? And you are, in fact, advocating on their behalf to make sure that things are not done to them that they can never reverse. And in order to do that, you have to be able to formulate your argument correctly. By all means, advocate for what you believe. Raise your kids in the way that you think that they should go. By the same token, when you're engaging with someone that you find on the other side of this debate, don't automatically assume they're stupid or they're mean or they're bigoted. Right? Try to figure out where they're coming from and then articulate how it is that you also feel that you're standing up for the vulnerable and marginalized. I think that's a really good point, Nick. You know, I, I've gotten into a lot of conversations with roommates or friends uh, people I've gone to high school with or college who gen I generally disagree with, but have, have found that uh, I have the ability to carry a constructive conversation with them. And what allowed me to do that was to first realize that this individual holds their opinions just as tightly as I do. Mm -hmm. Now, do I agree with how they got there? No. But I respect that they hold this opinion mm -hmm. With a lot of passion. And, you know, you've said before, you know, asking questions will often lead to a productive conversation. And I, I wish I would do that more often mm -hmm. uh, in these conversations, but I, I think that's really good advice. But, yeah, you, I think uh, we have a few resources. Tina, you've got one. Nick, you've got one. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, Tina, why don't you uh, get us started here? Well, one of the ones, um, we showed the clip of uh, Walt Heyer um, earlier in, in the podcast, and he actually has a support um, website called sexchangeregrets.com. And if you go under the resources portion of that, it's sexchangeregrets.com. They have compiled um, just a ton of resources for just about any question you might have. And anybody who um, has gone through this and, and maybe they're struggling with maybe thinking about it or 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 they're on the other side of it and they, they'd like to come, you know, back and retrain, uh, guess, what do you call that when you retransition back? I think it's detransition. Detransition. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is, is that we should always, always provide a really loving environment for people um, as they're working through some of these things, because oftentimes there is so much accompanying it. And it's really important that, that we have these conversations in love. Um, but that, that's the resource I was, I was putting out there. Yeah. And if you want to watch the, um, the interview that we took the clips from, you can go to Heritage Foundation, uh, Heritage Foundation. The actual title of this is YouTube won't allow you to hear these six words from former transgender identifying person, Walt 
higher. And that was actually done on June 19th, 2020. So it's actually been out there a while now, but that's on Heritage Foundation. If you want to see the full clip, there's actually other people on the panel as well. Um, you can do all of that and, and learn some more. And again, one of the reasons why I think this is powerful is we, we don't want to, we don't want to suggest that one person's testimony settles the argument. But a lot of times when you, when you are debating with somebody that is passionate about this issue, it's because they have someone close to them that is maybe going through these issues or, or considering or contemplating certain decisions. And it, it is valuable to be able to reference somebody that has gone through similar questions, similar experiences, come out the other side and, and basically issuing a warning on, on what this did for them and what this meant for their life and some of the things that were influencing them to make decisions that you know, really altered them forever. And so I, I think I think that can be really valuable. He has also written um, many books, which are also uh, mostly uh, like trans life survivors, um, gender lies and suicide. Um, you know, th there are several. And and the point of a lot of those is is going back to other testimonies of other people and telling their stories. It's really sad. Yeah. Well, Nick, let's go ahead and wrap out here. Well, again, I want to thank everyone for joining us. I know this is a tough issue. We've we've tried to speak about this in a way that is respectful, both of a diverse audience and of the YouTube guidelines. So hopefully we've been able to accomplish that. If you do have other questions, you have other statements or maybe experiences, please leave that in our comments section. We always like to be informed by our audience as well as potentially helping to inform you about these issues and how to properly make the arguments to be able to defend a free society. Once again, I'm Nick Freitas with our cast and crew here. Thank you very much for joining thank us. You, we'll Nick. see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.